I love the way you say film. Hello, you are listening to The Film Show. I am your host, Owen Ronane. With me here is the dynamic Brian Lloyd. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. And the also dynamic. <laughs> you could have said dynamic duo. You could have said dynamic duo. That's what I thought you were going that's for. That's what I thought you were going for. I thought that's what you're... I was like, oh, that's okay. That, that could work. That would have been a different bit. It would have been, wouldn't it? That would have been like... Yeah, okay. Do you hear you feel? As soon as you said dynamic brain, I knew dynamic D was going to follow. Yeah, like dynamic D is better. Was it because you knew I wouldn't have come up with another descriptor? No, I feel like you had that lined up. Also, the alliteration, like you have to, it has to be DD for me. Okay, yeah, yeah, of course. So I should have called you the brilliant Brian. I mean, sure, yeah, I, I, I guess. I, I don't it's know. a good podcast. It's, 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 <laughs> it's fine. This is fine. We're this also joined by the dynamic Dave, <laughs> producer <See>? Dave. Yeah, <laughs> it's Diamond Diamond Dave, the Diamond Dave, also known as Deadpan Dynamic Dave. How are you getting on? Hello, brilliant. That's, that's so <laughs> on brand. We should so on brand. That. Okay, let's let's dive into some film news. Uh, well, coming up first, we've got the Breaking Bad movie has been teased today on Twitter. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, is anybody else kind of like a bit meh about the idea of a Breaking Bad movie? Because the series finished so Correct. perfectly. Just let it be. Yeah. I mean, we have to remember that even though, so what was basically tweeted was both from Aaron Paul and uh, Brian Cranston Twitter accounts was this picture of two donkeys together with the caption soon. So, I mean, at the same time, everyone's like, oh my gosh, it's about the movie, it's about the movie. But it could be anything. It could just be a reunion. Can we they talk could about just the content co- of that image? Two donkeys. What's going on there? What could that symbolize? They're, they're just standing there. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Two donkeys. In the middle of the soon. desert. Oh my God. <laughs> and it says soon. Oh my God. It's two donkeys. It's not one donkey. It's two. I can't help but be excited for it. Really? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you are right though in that the series ended well, which as more and more series end, yes. you realize is not a given like Game of Thrones. Is and it's not just, and it's and it's such a perfect ending for both of those characters because with Walter White, like he, it had to end with him dying and he yeah. does die. Yes. He's dead. He's gone. And then with um, Jesse Pinkman, 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 Pinkman um, the fact that he's kind of driving out to freedom, except we don't know that it's necessarily to freedom because we hear those cop cars in the yeah. background. Maybe he turns around the corner and he gets arrested yes. and he's landed in a whole ton of new shit. We yeah. don't know that. And that ambiguity was just so perfect. It was poetic. That's exactly you know? it. Him driving away. It was so like, you know, it, they they got it so right where it's like, not all stories have to end, but at least his can finish there mm-hmm. in he, like, at least so far as his characters come such a long yep. way. Um, I don't know. I did read some other stuff online, which was speculation that they both posted it at exactly 10.02 Western America time, right? which people are taking to mean a October 2nd release date. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, no, to be fair, like, I will say, like, if they you, were nanoseconds apart, they think. Yeah, were. but I know. But no, what I mean is, is that like in Breaking Bad, they're really good at like loads of foreshadowing like that's really what numerical symbolism yeah no totally no there really was because it was like um 
like the final episode is called Felina, which is like blood and iron. And that was like literally foreshadowing the death. Yes. But also it's an anagram of finale. And then there was like stuff, I think it was in like, um, I think it was Better Call Saul. I think it was like the third, the second or third season. Sure. If you spelled out the first words of every episode, it said Gus is back. What? And that was, and that was, and that was like a reference to Gustavo Fring and stuff Would like you that. Be arsed? I didn't see that's it. Didn't see that. Yeah, like that's it. Because like it's one of those things that like Breaking Bad was always known for like really kind of embracing that, that kind of Reddit detective bullshit. Yeah. Mm. Um. And so yeah, so like this, I I agree with D. I agree with everybody. I think this is clearly something to do with the movie. I'm just not that jazzed about the idea okay, of a Breaking yeah. Bad movie. Yeah, Which is just, a shame, like because like like I, I, I exactly as you said, more and more we see now that it is so fucking easy to ruin a TV show in a bad ending. Absolutely, and Breaking Bad did Game of Thrones, for Game, one. Of Thro- Game of Thrones, Sopranos to a certain degree, um, and this is perfect. This is, Breaking Bad was the perfect ending. So why are they trying to force it on? Like, do you think now from the previous experience of you know movies like this coming out is that reputation guaranteed to cripple the film? Do you think it has oh, any hope of surpassing well, it? Well, I'm just even thinking of the most recent example in Toy Story, you yeah. know, because everyone was like, Toy Story 3 is alone. the perfect ending. Leave it alone. It broke my heart. I can't go through that emotional trauma again. But Toy Story 4, it did end up being like a really nice and enjoyable add-on. Not necessarily, you know, as emotional as the third film one but was, but it really is like, an I, wrote, yeah. I wrote a whole article about it, I, about Toy Story 4 as an epilogue. I finally went to see it last weekend. Yeah, what do you think? 4DX the... as well. <laughs> oh, wait, what, what, what was I was going like? to choose between the IMAX or the 4DX, which is, you know, the, the extra dimensions, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. which, as everyone knows, is mist, uh, a little rat's tail between your ankles that slaps you around. <laughs> Uh, tilt is the other dimension in this they, world. I really enjoyed like cinema it. at all. <laughs> Are you just tripping balls sitting in cinema? I'm naming all the dimensions. I remember we were there for the first night 4DX um, opened sure. and they were showing all the features before the film started and one of them is actually, I don't think they use this in, this, in your screen. misting. Um, no, one of the, fe- it, well, there is mist, but one of the features they also have is bubbles but the bubbles are so sad looking because they're you know how to really have an impact you need a lot of bubbles and you or you need them to be gigantic and cool this was like just a few bubbles coming out of the ceiling and just falling flat it was the saddest looking thing it, yeah because the theater is a little bit smaller so there is something a bit kind of like oh like you'd need the bubbles coming out shooting out of the walls for yes. it to look cool not like a dozen bubbles just kind of Floating Am I wrong, down slowly. Or is scent an aspect of it? Do they release scents? They do that... scents, yeah. What smell a vision? Smell a vision. I missed it because I have a terrible sense of smell. <laughs> and I think I was eating ice cream at the time, so I was just like, <laughs> whatever. But uh I was told later that it was a smelly cinema. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> just out of interest, what are the bubbles? How did they underwater? I would presume the bubbles are released Is it underwater. To... Well, it was like I said, it was a demo, so they didn't actually use the bubbles through the film. I think it was just to say, and this is another cool feature that this screen sure. has, bubbles. but it wasn't very cool. I will say, that at one stage in the movie, not a spoiler, Woody, Woody falls out of the, a house, uh, falls into the rain. Rain starts coming out in our theater, and I got soaked. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I was wow. like. I was literally I, standing in the rain. It's raining really heavily in that scene as well, yeah, I think. It, yeah, I was absolutely like torrentially 
Yeah, it was raining. I don't like. I, I I haven't gone. Like I haven't gone, and like I I don't want to sound like I'm being a boring bastard, but like I have no desire to get rained upon. Oh, what? For the purpose uh, you should of, do it once. I mean, yeah, I'll, fine. I'll probably do it once, but like I mean, that's it. Like it's a one and done kind of jazz. Like you know, like, I, yeah. I think you need the right film for it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Like My family went to see Aladdin in it, um, and they said it was just all right. Yeah, that's it. Like if it was something silly, like. Godzilla, for example, Terminator or, or, or Two, Terminator Two, or something, yeah, <laughs> anything, yeah, completely. But um, yeah, I don't know, yeah, 4DX, I don't know, yeah, I don't know, I don't know. Would they right. turn the heaters on for the end of Terminator Two, maybe, <laughs> or something like the day, the day after tomorrow, just whack up the air. Con. Hot and cold, yeah. hot and cold, hot and cold yeah. yeah. Throw ice creams at you. <laughs> Could work. I'd love to see. Yeah, by all means, listeners, uh, send in what you would like the next dimension to be in your five DX. But uh, <laughs> there actually was a five DX. There was, wasn't there? One on O'Connell Street. No, this Street. was the thing where, like, yeah, on O'Connell Street, I thought it was called Seven D. Oh, cinema. was that it? Yeah, Seven D. Which me and my mates had a gag about because everybody knows it's the three dimensions of our world and sure. then the other dimensions, which are rat's tail, mist, <laughs> snow. Anyway, we've got an anime. Tilting seats. <laughs> uh, do you want to fill us in on Taika Waititi has taken on Flash Gordon? Oh, yeah. Well, I don't know if I'm the right person to talk about this, if I'm perfectly honest, just because... Have you never seen Flash I've Gordon? I've never seen Flash <gasps> Gordon. This I is knew such that, a Brian Lloyd area. I knew actually. that Brian would be appalled by this. But yeah, apparently he is... Now, this is very early stages, and it's just talk. It's just rumor at this um, stage. Uh, Taika Waititi has previously done... Um, Thor Ragnarok he'd be the most renowned for and this project would also be for Disney slash Fox because obviously the merger is still a bit up in the air at this point yeah. so mm. but it'll probably be Disney by the time it happens it comes it through, yeah. but it's happens. a full cinema release as opposed to their streaming platform I see I don't know maybe that's again why it is such early stages that it's kind of it's so difficult to call it yeah um but it's an interesting one because it's a project that's been kind of floating around for years and years um I think let me check that list um I made notes for Owen and he stole them for me um but oh. George Lucas was attached to direct it directed at some point Federico Fellini most recently the director of Kingsman Matthew Vaughan so yeah. it's been around for years. Like, yeah, yeah Flash Gordon is like. Well, maybe there's a reason why it's never been actually yeah. made. Yeah, I mean, the so only... tell me, why does it need to be made? Old man. Old man Lloyd. <laughs> I was like, does Lloyd work? Oh, yeah. Old man Lloyd. Like someone else's first name. Why am I Why am I old man Lloyd? What, 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 As what? previously stated, you're now older than Christ. <laughs> <laughs> now that you've reached 33. <laughs> We're now 34? No. Yeah, I really missed Mike here because he could always take the brunt of the old man jokes and now clearly now, you're the <laughs> now it's now it's fallen yeah, to me. Old ass. I always um, like that you refer to him as Christ rather than Jesus. Older than Christ. I've never yeah. really heard it that. Just outside great. of mass. Brian Lloyd is now older than the Christ. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now it's the Christ. <laughs> anyway. It's evolving. <laughs> it's an evolving gag. We'll get there. We'll get there. Um, yeah, no, Flash Gordon. Like, it's... Right, I don't necessarily know what Taika Waititi is going to bring to it, primarily because Taika, or Taika Waititi is known for like taking something and kind of, you know, 
giving it a lot of humor and a lot of comedy, and it's very self-aware. Eccentricity. It's very improv as well. Very, very improv. Stuttered talk of like, whoa. Yeah, completely, completely. Which is brilliant. Which absolutely works. Yeah, absolutely. You look at like Hunt for the Willow people, you look at that uh, show, or that, I'm sorry, a movie did that's on Netflix that I'm blanking now. Uh, The Vampire. What We Do in the Shadows. What We Do in the Shadows was another one as well. Yeah, like he's just really known for that really you know, interesting take on uh, improv comedy. Flash Gordon, though, is like, that's going way back to like the 40s. This was like a serial and stuff like that. It was the basis for Star Wars. Like George Lucas tried to buy the rights to Flash Gordon and he couldn't afford it. So he just came up with Star Wars. (laughs) Um, And like then, like, of course, we all know, we all associate it with Queen and the soundtrack from the 70s or from the, like, whenever it was, the 80s. The only time I've seen Flash Gordon is in Ted 2. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. (laughs) When they're ripping the piss out of it, yeah. And, um... So I don't necessarily know if it's going to work. But then again, Taika Waititi did take on the Thor franchise. And reinvented it. Exactly. And I mean, we never really thought, I know that he did a bit of comedy, but we never thought of Thor as such a comedic figure until that film. And that ended up being integrated, you know, into Infinity War and Endgame, you know, so he completely transformed that franchise and that yeah. character yeah you know? almost yeah. the entire way so. they do comedy became that kind of like subverting their character yeah. Yeah, to exactly. be more kind of modern and twitchy i don't know <laughs> it's it's really yeah, yeah yeah it's yeah. weird and that's what i'm saying i don't know if that necessarily worked for flash gordon because flash gordon when you watch the movie the one that like was with brian blessed brian mm. blessed the queen soundtrack it's so bad it's good like that's yeah. Yeah. it's really is one of those cult films where it's so bad it's good it's like street fighter yeah. or I don't know. Any, Street Fighter. Yeah, or just, yeah, yeah, Street Fighter, yeah, but it, it, it's so bad, it's good. So, like, Flash Gordon putting Taika Waititi on it, I mean, maybe, maybe. But then at the same time, I mean, his stock couldn't be higher right now. Oh, completely. He's, like, between this and Akira that yeah. he's meant to be doing as well, like, I'm more interested to see what he does with Akira than I am with Flash but Gordon. But there must be good reason for him choosing this in that completely. case, I suppose. Yeah, and, like, you look at Thor Ragnarok as well, there's a lot of... You can you can feel that he was kind of referencing Flash Gordon yeah, and yeah. Ragnarok with the soundtrack, just the and, color palettes, and the co- exactly like yeah, the color palettes and all that as yeah. well. So yeah, true. Here we are. <laughs> so, it's a real romp. It sounds like a real romp. It could be, but um, uh, you've no opinion on it, Dave. By the way, no, I, on, I, I actually I don't think I saw the original either. What? But you're in another old ass. Yeah. Uh, not I as old as Brian <laughs> maybe Flash Garden was just that little bit before me I was aware of it but I was never like oh we should go see that I know it was always on telly this was yeah. it it was always on telly like not yeah. on my channels I don't it was on it was all hang on a sec <laughs> was this like it was always on RT1 RT and RT2 no yeah. it was no? always on RT1 and RT2 oh. it was like that was like, like it was like the radio the big, no like the big big movie <laughs> like it was the big big movie it was Flash Garden don't lie don't sit there and lie Okay. I've never seen it. I'm sure if it was, you had a lovely time watching it. I did. On the radio. Before TV was <laughs> On the talkies and the wireless. <laughs> <laughs> we now return to Flash Cotton. Uh, I'll wow, tell you who we scoop. do know. The Beatles. How's that for a transition? Um, middling. <laughs> <laughs> you should be ashamed. I'm getting there. So uh, this week's movie review is, of course, Yesterday. Yesterday. All my trouble seems I'm so not. Far. I'm not going to sing it. There was such a pod. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. Okay, go on. Yeah, you haven't seen it. No, I haven't seen it, and yeah, I, so I you don't can't want have an opinion. No, but I'm saying I don't want to see it. I don't. I have no. What? I have no desire to see this film at all. Is this but because I, of how you feel about Richard Curtis films? 
Yeah, and the Beatles as well. Really? Yeah, you don't like f- the Beatles? Oh, I am not a fan of the Beatles at all. You're not a fan of the Beatles? Not at all. Rolling Stones. If I had to, if it was like Beatles or Rolling Stones, I'd blur or Oasis. Both. I mean, you can't have them both, but just I just don't. Wait, do you pick Blur over Oasis as well? I yeah, probably would. Yeah. Jesus God. <laughs> <laughs> this Wait. podcast is open. Right, but you you would go for Oasis, yeah? Yeah. How about you, Dave? Yeah, Oasis, absolutely. D. Blur or Oasis? No, Which Oasis. do you prefer? Oasis. No, no, you're entitled to your Blur. Whatever. Blur. Actually, <laughs> actually, I'm going to uh, Stereophonics next weekend. Looking forward to that one. Really? Yeah. yeah. They're on, great. They have so many hits, don't they? Yeah, I've been seeing them a couple times. They're really yeah. good. Can you give us a few bars of your favorite Oasis song there, Dave? Yeah. I He's won't. not going to. He won't. But I can. Uh, he can, semantics. but he won't. See that? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> So yesterday follows a struggling singer-songwriter who takes advantage when the whole world, except for him, forgets who the Beatles are. So it's a really, really good idea. And I mean, it executes it in a variety of ways. For example, the film explores, okay, so what does it mean to have the Beatles in a kind of contemporary world and how do they fit in there? Because, for example, the guy whose name is Jack, who is played by Himish Patel, who soap fans will recognize uh, because he used to be in EastEnders. Um, But at one point, Ed Sheeran suggests to him that um, he should change the song, the title of the song, Hey Jude to Hey Dude, because that'll be more in with, you know, the young audience of today and stuff. And it also explores like the guilt that Jack feels, you know, taking the Beatles songs, you know, which was created by the great artists like John so Lennon, in the world, Paul he's McCartney, the only one who knows that he's ripping them off. Yeah. And no one else is. Exactly. Aware. Nobody else knows. So he's singing like Beatles songs and they're like, wow, I've never heard the song before, but this is one of the greatest songs of all time. But there's also like a sense of responsibility that he feels because he's like, you know, I have to bring these amazing Beatles songs out into the world so that everyone hears them. So there are various angles that it takes, which are really interesting. I suppose the main, there's one big issue I found with it, and that's that it almost takes itself a bit too seriously and a bit too earnestly. Because I mean, the concept that is underlining it is like completely nuts. The idea that the Beatles have just been wiped. So I wish that it had been maybe a bit more self-aware, a bit more playful with that idea, but it's just so earnest that sometimes it's almost kind of a bit disorientating. And even it goes into like a weird area with a certain cameo, I suppose you could call it. I'm not going to get into Uh, what it is, but I was like, okay, this is getting a bit too, I don't know, weird for me or something. But I mean, at that, it is your typical Richard Curtis rom-com. So this is the guy who is behind Four Weddings and a Funeral, Notting Hill, actually and everything, About Time. And actually, tonally, I found that this felt very like About Time at at points. I'd probably say it's the most like About Time and Notting Hill, the latter from the perspective of, you know, there's this famous person and this kind of normal everyday person and they're trying to like figure out if they can make a romantic relationship work. So it has tones of that uh, from that perspective as well. So if you're looking for like a nice romantic comedy because, you know, we have so many action movies and Disney films and CGI heavy type of movies coming out this summer. That's always the nature of it. It's kind of nice that you have this like just sweet romantic comedy. You know, it's all going to work out. You know, you're going to leave it with a big smile on your face and singing Beatles songs and remembering just how many, you know, classic great hits they had. Then it ticks the boxes for that. And it's just, it's very sweet. So I found it like even hard to go too hard on it in my review. Like I gave it, I think three and a half out of five in the end, which I think is But then the main issue is that they just didn't go far enough with the 
Not so much it's such that, an out there plot. Yeah, not so much that they didn't go far enough, but you kind of have two different movies that are kind of like in contention with one another. First of all, there is that idea of... Guy becomes rock star. Exactly, guy becomes rock star. But then also there is the romantic comedy plot in that the guy who um, is the struggling singer-songwriter whose career suddenly takes off, he has this best friend who is played by the lovely Lily James, who people will know from like Downton Abbey and the Cinderella remake and everything so she has been his kind of manager all through when his career was on a low and nobody knew who he was and she's been his lifelong friend but she's also always been in love with him but he has never noticed her so there's that whole kind of romantic plot that um, works out as well so yeah I just find that there was a bit of imbalance and I just would have loved to see a bit more of that Richard Curtis sense of humor because he really does you know very humorous scenes and he does great ensembles I felt that the ensemble could be a bit weak at times as well um Kate McKinnon who I normally love I felt like her kind of out there American like spontaneous you know improv style of humor didn't always fit into this film either so look it had its issues but it's still like really it's really nice you get into a break no, not at all. No, <laughs> you didn't sell it to me at all. Like everyone's like, no, I don't know. I'd love to see it. Yeah, it's because nice. I love the music of the Beatles. <clears throat> if you if you love the Beatles music, you will like this because I really yeah. I think it does a really good job at kind of doing the renditions of the song that give you know credit to everything that the Beatles have done, but still you know are a really interesting kind of new take on all the songs. And it's funny what they do is some of the lyrics are different because Jack is working off his memory and he doesn't remember the exact oh, lyrics. Brilliant. So that's yeah. really clever as well. Um, and also your man Himish Patel um, I think he's probably really going to launch after this he's a great singer yeah. so that helps you know I did yeah. uh, no were Paul McCartney or Ringo Starr in it um, I can't say because that would be giving it away I feel uh, okay. I feel like that would be a spoiler uh, so oh, fair play yeah they might fair. be in it they yeah might I feel be, like I'd be approaching be. something like this with a little bit of skepticism because like I love I loved about time and mm-hmm. but I do kind of have I always go in really skeptical if a, it's kind of like the plot is like a sixth class essay. Yeah. I feel like Richard Curtis has leaned into those with his last two films where it's like I wonder what would happen if this was like this and it's like something that should be written mm-hmm. on a weekend and forgotten about yeah. forever or whatever. But like that said, he did do well with About mm-hmm. Time in that regard. But yeah, and isn't there an element as well of kind of given that, like I say, something that would be a throwaway idea, given it that level of credibility yeah. and given it that level of emphasis. And you're kind of like, come on. Now. And then still grounding it in like such human characters and yeah. stuff. I'm always a bit like, give over. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, no I'm, I'm the same as well. Like that's why it was kind of like About Time. I was beautiful on all as it was. I was always a bit like, you know, it yeah. just... Yeah. This one I got similar vibes from just because, like I said, that kind of sense of earnestness or yes. something that it can it can almost be a bit grating at times, yeah, like very. they hammer it home too hard, I feel. Yeah. Whereas like his earlier works, I think, got that balance better. I don't know if that's necessarily true. You should go back and wa- I rewatched Four Weddings and a Funeral a couple of months ago. And, no was, and like that ending with Andy McDowell is just like about as subtle as a fart in a bathtub. It's really... <laughs> Like That's the a great bit, phrase. like it is just is that like subtle? that's a, <laughs> is that the least subtle thing you can do. 
But no, but it really is. Like, you go back and watch it, like, throughout his entire career, like, he's never been one to spare. Of course, yeah. Spare the sentimentality at all. He'll, if is it just that audiences are less sentimental? Like, we, we were so into it in the 90s. Maybe. Like, I'll be writing, I'll be writing a feature on this on Entertainment.ie, mm. oh. but the romantic comedy has, like, you know, done loads of twists and turns, and I think that it's evolved with kind of our sense of humor, and people are looking more for that, like, tongue-in-cheek, self-aware type style. Now that when it goes like too schmaltzy or too corny, it's like, we can't handle it. It's too, ugh. you know, it almost yeah. makes you feel kind of gross or yeah, something. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so bloody earnest. Yeah. <laughs> um, and another thing I have to point out is it is, it was interesting from the perspective of seeing that Richard Curtis sensibility and how it kind of worked together with Danny Boyle. Yeah. Was a direct, those are two names that you would not associate with Solid together. Gold, yeah, yeah, as well, together. Other, yeah, exactly. Other than the fact that like they're both, you know, British and in the film industry and they're both yeah. kind of renowned for the, the respective works that they do. Um, so, yeah. And it was actually really interesting to talk to them. See? See, is segue. that how you do a segue? That's that so smooth. I, I think I can top that. Um, but I talked to both Danny Boyle and Richard Curtis and um, two things. One that struck me about each of them. Richard Curtis is Hugh Grant in his earlier He's works. He's so charmingly so befuddled. Funny. Because Are like for, for Weddings and a Funeral, he based on himself. He kind of said he based it on like, you know, a girl he was in love with and on like awkward kind of growing up experiences and stuff. So like he is that character. It was just, it was so funny. The only time I've ever gotten that was with him and Nick Park who would be known for like doing the Wallace, Wallace and Gromit yeah. films. Yeah. Like he is Wallace. Oh, you know? <laughs> like they are one <laughs> and the same. So yeah, because because they're such cute characters, it's like... Jam? <laughs> and no, I thought it was crackers and cheese. Crackers and cheese. Didn't he also eat... I'm just picturing the toast he'd eat in the wrong trousers. May- oh, uh, yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah. But he's crackers by cheese. That's his little line, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Nick Park or Wallace? Uh, Wallace. Wallace. They're one and the same now. Um, But yeah, and the other thing that really struck me about talking to Danny Boyle, and I suppose it makes sense because if you look across Danny Boyle's work, obviously he'd be probably best known for like train spotting or uh, 127 hours or Steve Jobs those kind of like yeah, yeah the those beach kind of, or shallow grave yeah exactly but Slumdog. kind of those darker films but you also have to remember exactly he did Slumdog yeah, Millionaire course, yeah. which is like quite a schmaltzy film Very. really and when I was talking to Danny Boyle he was just talking about being in love with love a bit and I thought that that was really interesting and it was like a way it's something I suppose him and Richard Richard Curtis rather have in common which I didn't really expect so they're both at heart these big romantics. Where did this slot into Bond? Would this have been his like breakaway from getting out of the franchise or was this in development before 007? Well uh, I suppose wasn't it um what's that one he did with James McAvoy? Uh, trance. Trance yeah I think the trance almost had kind of vibes of like of Bond. action yeah. Bond or yeah. something although like obviously a super super messed up version of Bond Absolutely. but that would probably be the main film that I would accredit with him being associated with Bond although of course he's off it now but yeah. that would I think, probably be the go-to. I think what probably happened was was that when he left Bond 25 they immediately put this back into Keep action working, yeah. yeah and he was like nope we're gonna go straight into this like kind of thing so i'd say i wouldn't surprise me if there was a quick turnaround with it like from yes, between between yeah. when he left bond 25 and then started work on this like you know yeah. that kind of because like it's oh, but i mean at the same time in regards to which he could have started work on the thing about 
production that people always forget that it's not kind of a linear thing. Mm. Directors and actors are in pro- are in discussions <clears throat> for multiple projects at any one time. Yeah. So I'd say it was something because Yesterday is a smaller film and Bond was going to be such a big film. I'd say that there was some still kind of thing. Weekends. Yeah, exactly. Probably, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you get that with like a bunch of actors. Like I even remember the only weekend junket I've ever done was with uh, Shailene Woodley for Adrift and it was because she was shooting Big Little Lies, the new season from Monday to Friday. And then she was promoting this film over the weekend. Yeah. And that's exactly how she was able to fit it into her schedule. So people have to remember. I was just picture they have like four days off. Everyone has four days (laughs) off in the industry. Not in the industry. Nope. (laughs) Oh, no, sorry. We have to check out this interview. Let's throw to it. So Danny Boyle, Richard Curtis, congratulations on yesterday. This was just an absolute delight. Thank you so much. I have to say for a lot of movie fans, including myself, seeing you guys work together, it was really like a match made in heaven for filmmaking. So I was wondering, were you two as excited to work together? And how did your working (laughs) process work out? Oh, I was so... so. (laughs) No, it worked out really, really well. I mean, at each point, it was interesting. Danny came in and auditioned for the movie. Uh, I mean, it was kind of interesting audition because what he was saying was, if you don't change these 20 pages, <laughs> no. I'm out. But he was he was outlining his vision of it. And then for me, it was a particular delight because I really do write sort of with stick people in my mind. Mm-hmm. And therefore, every huge twirl that Danny did and just the way he always does interesting things with the camera was just for me, just extra layers of the yeah. cake every day. But for me, to be able to do a film about love, mm-hmm. and obviously this double-barreled, because in one sense it's obviously a huge love letter to the Beatles and their music, and then on the other hand, this, this love letter from her to him, really, in a way, because she's telling him to wake up and love yeah. him, really, mm-hmm. that she's waited half her life for him. Yeah. And to be able to do that combo in such a joyous way together is very special, really, because... Um, it brings out something better in you, I think. And as well as it being about love, I think it's like almost you could consider it your first musical, you know, Danny, even though like music has featured yeah. so highly in your work before between like Slumdog Millionaire yeah. and even like Train Spotting, like that soundtrack is key to that film. So was that kind of part of the draw for it for you? I think for both of us, the thing yeah. that's common about for both of us is our love of music. I mm-hmm. think you'd be hard pressed to find two other filmmakers who spent so much of their work dedicated to songs and, you know, and the joy that you get in putting them into films, really. So, and I've always wanted to do a musical and I still haven't quite done it because you've got to do dancing then as well. And ideally, the songs have got to be original. They've got to be brand new. That's the ultimate one. The definition is getting a bit tricky now, you know. I think it's got to be dancing and (laughs) totally original songs to to really qualify. By the way, way, it is is fun watching the movie, uh, the extent which I can relax when the songs start. <laughs> because, you know, as someone who tries to write jokes, you're just slightly on the edge of your seat. Will saying, it work? Will it work? Are they going to get a laugh? And then <laughs> suddenly he goes, Yesterday, and you think, okay, I've got three minutes. No, in his now, when Danny and the, Well, I can leave <laughs> it to Danny and the Beatles. Time. Yeah. Uh, speaking of laughter, romantic comedies uh, for you, Richard, is an area you've kind of been drawn to again and again. Uh, Notting Hill, by the way, recently turned 20 years old. I don't know, I know if you know, know so know. one of your earlier ones. Yeah. Um, but between that and still with yesterday, you have those, you know, romantic comedy elements um, in it. So I was wondering what it is about that genre that you're kind of constantly, you know, drawn back to. And how do you always make them work? Because there are a lot of romantic comedies that don't work. You know, I wonder that. And the way I justify it is... 
why did Picasso always draw people with eyes all over their faces? You know, there must be a thing inside you which just tells you that that's the thing that you care about most. And I'm really, I was always obsessed by love. I fell in love with someone called Jill when I was four. And, um, you know, I I've, I'm, I'm fell in love with a kitten called the Lemon Cardboard. Yes, it's just, it's just the thing that hangs around in my heart more than anything else. Some people are interested in action, some people are interested in social change, some people are interested in history, and for me, fictionally, it is the thing that I always want to tell another tale about. Great. My very last question for you guys is, because this is so oriented around the Beatles, I have to ask, do you remember the first time you heard the Beatles, or do you have a fond memory you associate with a Beatles song? So I'm a, I'm a twin, I have a twin sister and we have a younger sister and we used to play upstairs in our bedroom and while my parents, who I'd always imagined as being old, as you do with parents, <laughs> played the original seven inch signals, singles downstairs and we used to hear them sort of through the floorboards and we'd pretend to be the Beatles, we'd perform and my sister <laughs> was in love with Paul McCartney as all girls were and therefore I was John Lennon. Yeah. And the other sister, my poor younger sister, could be Paul, could be George or Ringo, it didn't really matter. We, and so she could be either those or both those to play the game. <laughs> so that was my, that's my first memory of them. Uh, my, my most painful memory is I went to a boarding school and I heard that Radio 1 were going to play the whole of the White Album on one Tuesday. Wow. So I got up at five, sat on a radiator... So by the time I went to the matron, my temperature was about 104, and I was put in the hospital that day, in the San, as they called it, and I listened to Piggies and, you know, Happiness is a Warm Gun and wow. Julia and all of those things. I was the only person in the school to hear them. Well, that seems like a lovely note to leave it on, so we'll have to leave it there. But congratulations again on the movie, oh, guys. I enjoyed it immensely. Thank you for coming over and thank watching you so Thank you for coming over early morning. Yeah. <laughs> And I also talked to the stars, Himish Patel and Lily James. So here's that interview. So Lily and Himish, congratulations on yesterday. This is just a music-filled delight of a film. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I wanted to ask you, Lily, first of all, you would have worked on Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again, almost immediately before this. So it was yeah. kind of two musicals in a row. Was that just an exhilaration to do two in a row or did it ever get too much musical? <laughs> no, it, I don't know if it can ever get too much musical for me. I, I honestly think it's like good for your, it's good for your soul and it's, mm -hmm. a, it's, ha it's made me a happier person. So <laughs> there's just like such a strong spirit of like abandon and joy and it just, uh, you know, I love music. So it's, it's been amazing. It's been a great year. <laughs> year and, a half, and then for you, Himish, this was kind of your first major, you know, leading role in a feature film. What did you feel was like the biggest challenge that you had to over overcome that came with that? Um, I, I guess kind of just not uh, letting it get on top of me, I suppose. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I, I never really felt that it was particularly because I was well supported by everyone on this on this project. Um, by fellow actors and by Danny and Richard um, and by the musical department as well and um, and so it was just really fun to kind of learn uh, from the best and, and kind of do these amazing things that we got to do along the way. I hope it was as much fun, you know, behind the scenes as it looked like on the screen. Oh, it, it just was, looked yeah. like a joy to make. It yeah, was. It was. It's an atmosphere that Danny and Richard create and you know, they're both very fun and, uh, you know, despite being two of the hardest workers, I think, we've mm, ever met. God, but, um, yeah. They managed to 
to create fun uh, environments and, and that filters down to the crew which is so important on any job really for the crew to be having fun that means everyone else has fun as well it's contagious the music as well so mm. you know mm. if you're always filming and there's also always these Beatles the Beatles music in your head and being performed it, you know it's brilliant both of you guys would probably be respectively best known for your TV series between EastEnders and Downton Abbey. Was there ever kind of reminiscing about those TV shows on the set or do you find that you think of those as kind of behind you and in the past now? I mean, it's, it's, I mean, I guess it is in the past, but not in any way that I'm kind of forcing it into the past. It just yeah. is part of my history. Funnily enough, Justin, who plays uh, a Russian character in the movie, uh, we did an episode of EastEnders together oh, did many you? years I ago. Didn't he, played, know that. he played my boss for a day, and so uh, <laughs> uh, it was kind of strange to be kind of thrust into this whole other world together. Um, but it was kind of a joy to have a little bit of a memory of the past there. Would be similar for you, Lily. Yeah, like he, like Himish said, I. It's not. I God, I treasure my time on that show. I loved it so much. So, um, but we didn't really talk about that, did we? No, but no, I'm not but doing TV shows. Haven't done TV shows, no. No, um, but we should. <laughs> Let's get together sometime and chat about it. <laughs> Obviously, the Beatles music is absolutely tantamount to this film. So I was wondering if you guys remember the first time you heard a Beatles song, or do you have maybe a fond memory that you associate with the Beatles song? Uh, I, I mean, I was about nine years old. I think I was at school, and mm. we were doing something about the sixties, and we listened to "Saw Her Standing There." That's my earliest memory of listening to a Beatles song, and, and we were just dancing. All the kids were dancing. It was really fun. Um, I had quite one recently, not my first one, but recently when I was doing the Darkest Hour, um, Joe Wright played "Hey Jude" when we were in the House of Commons, and it was Winston Churchill, Gary Oldman, and the whole of Parliament singing "Hey Jude," and it was. Pretty cool. <laughs> That's such a nice one. See how timeless it is. Yeah. It even works in like darkest hour yeah, era as does. well as <laughs> Amazing. Um, I suppose my last question for you guys is: I have to ask about working you guys working with Kate McKinnon because I genuinely think she is one of the funniest actresses working today. Mm, yeah. Was she constantly having you guys crack up on set, or what was it like working? With not her? in any kind of not in that kind of way where she was like constantly mm. cracking jokes. But she just is inherently like very funny to work with because she she comes from this improvisational background. So she'll just kind of throw in a line, and then I have to like do my best to not ruin the take by laughing. Mm. That was something that was a challenge actually. Yeah. But she was great. She's so down to earth and so um, kind and brilliant to work with. Yeah. Yeah, she's hilarious. Oh my god, it was like that. It was like when you watch her. When I was watching at the monitor, I was like, everyone had to stop stifling their laughs so they wouldn't ruin the take because she's just so so funny. I love the scene with you three together where she's kind of like sizing up your yeah. character. Yeah. Really. That was so good. And you were a manager. Big mistake. What did she yeah. say? Just yeah. Unless you were the idiot. Then. <laughs> well, we'll have to leave it there. But I just want to say again, congratulations on the film. It's it's beautiful. Okay, so now we're on to Metal Heart, Brian. Yeah. We uh, we had a lovely interview with Hugh O'Connor last we did. week. You went to see it since, did you I enjoy did, it? Yes, yes. And we sent some competition winners to see it. Oh, of we sure yeah. did. Yeah, yeah, we had the competition uh, last week. Yeah, so this is the uh, Irish film, it's the, direct, it's the feature directorial debut of Hugh O'Connor. Mm. Uh, stars Jordan Jones, Leah McNamara and Mo Dunford is in it as well. Mo Dunford's everywhere. Mo Dunford's everywhere. He's in this room right now. Ah! Look. <laughs> Um, it was but just yeah. Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. We got mixed hey! up. <laughs> 
But um, yeah, no, this is like a story of like two fraternal twins. Now, fraternal twins, for anyone who doesn't know, it's basically they were born at the same time, but they don't look alike. Okay. Um, one is a goth, one is a beauty influencer, and then it's you start off and you think it's going to be just just about the friction between the two of them, but when Mo Dunford's character comes into the story, it becomes sort of like. I guess you'd say it's about the goth, uh, the goth uh, sister, Jordan Jones, it's about her kind of becoming a woman, about her like finding herself and kind of defining her personality, that it's not just all about being a goth, that it's also about becoming a woman. And then with the what? <laughs> What's your obsession with the phrase becoming a woman? <laughs> I'll tell you why, because I did this before, didn't Bryant I? Brian did this yeah. before when he had uh, The Revisit, which is a podcast, by the way, you should go back and check out because it's like timeless. It's a fantastic podcast. And he had a number of guests in to speak about their favorite films, but he had Elaine Crowley oh, in to God, talk about you Labyrinth, this And he talked about Jennifer Connelly's oh character becoming a woman, like, I don't know, over three times. Over again. I don't know why he's obsessed with this phrase. So sorry, that's why I had to say that. Okay, right. Okay. Well, like, if I can, if we can pause the Metal Heart review for a minute. Right? Oh, no. What I wanted to get into about uh, Labyrinth was, was that it was something that, like, it's it's really part of the film, but, like, I don't have any experience with it. But then why do you keep saying it? Because I'm trying to underline how important it is, but I'm just. <sighs> yeah, but you don't know that. Have you ever become. No! <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so yeah, I can't, I'm afraid now that I'm going to mention that phrase that I'm not going to mention for the it's rest of it. It's about her struggle. It's about her struggle to define herself. It's much more. It, it is. It is that. Yeah. yeah. No, it is that femininity. <laughs> But it is no. But it really is that thing. Like that. That really is what Metal Heart is about. The idea of like. You know, people f- kind of, uh, I guess, foist these labels on themselves. It's very John Hughes, like really like breakfast, yeah, yeah, that yeah. kind of thing. Like you know, now that was one of the things in the interview last week that Hugh O'Connor. I, it was interesting to hear. It almost sounded like it evolved into a kind yes. of John Hughes esque. Yeah, originally, yeah. what he saw it as a lot darker. He saw it like the way he kind of envisioned it originally was, was that it was going to be this kind of Twin Peaks kind of dark, dark kind of story. And to be fair, that when you watch it. You can see how, like, with a few scenes mm. tweaked and a few kind of little bit of nudging, it could have been a very much yes, like yeah. a really. Now, good, I, as someone who's just seen the trailer, are we talking about Mo Dunford's character? Yeah, Mo Dunford's character because yeah. he's like a lot older than the two girls, like, and they're only just turning like yeah. eighteen, and like it's that thing of like, how do you do a John Hughes story without? Grooming, yeah. See, that's it, isn't it? Like, because you look, go back and look at Sixteen Candles. Oh God, like, Sixteen Candles. I like I, aged badly. Oh, I don't yeah. think I can watch that. The the scene in the car now. Yeah. I'm just like, this isn't no. Yeah. This isn't acceptable. Exactly, yeah, it's yeah. really like not aged well. And now, to be fair, like Metal Heart isn't that. That's not what they're going for. No, they're not going for that. Because, I mean, there is, you know, the two characters. But it does make you feel deeply uncomfortable. It does. Because there is a bit of preening, is that the word, going on? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. With those um, characters. Grooming, I think. Grooming, that's the word. (laughs) Preening is a different, like, animal (laughs) activity. (laughs) No, but there is, yeah, there is that element of kind of grooming and there is that thing of, like, age inappropriate. But then again, I suppose, like, maybe that's, you know, relevant. Like, there is that thing of, like, you know, Girl, like girls who are younger do kind of fall for older guys for older guys yeah that does happen is it portrayed as a positive relationship no that's it well it starts off and you think okay this is actually okay I may not personally agree with this but I guess they're trying to give at least he's a good influencer at least he's a good influence and he's talking about his music and then it starts to become more and more toxic and this is my point is that it could have been pushed 
that little bit more and it would have been a much different film. But as it stands, it's kind of just like 15, PG-13 kind of way. And that's not to say that it doesn't lose its impact by not going that far with it. It's still very well done. It's just you're always kind of watching it with the kind of sense of like, oh, this is a bit hinky. I don't know if this is good. But it is really good. It is a really enjoyable film. Like It definitely does have strong moments in it. Um, You can see the Hugh O'Connor. We were talking before about um, the fact that he was King Louis in The Three Musketeers and I never knew. Well, not even that. But (laughs) Yeah, did you not know that? No, I didn't. Yeah, do you remember Three Musketeers, the one with Kiefer Sutherland and Chris O'Donnell? How could I forget? He's yeah. got the long brown hair. He's the child king. The child what? king, Prince uh, oh, yeah. King Louis. That was Hugh O'Connor, the Irish actor Hugh, Hugh O'Connor. But um, no, um, uh, your bad self. Like you can yeah. really see that he has that kind of element, that air of comedy in it yes, to kind of, of course, lighten yeah. it a bit, you know. And we were talking about how close they all are with uh, John Butler and that crew. With the exactly, yeah. Stuff. Exactly, yeah, and the stag and um, what was the other one? Um, Handsome Devil, mm-hmm. same kind of thing as well. Same kind of very John yeah. Hughes and inspired. And how would you fit a film like this into the canon of modern Irish See, cinema? That's, a, that's I mean? the thing. I feel like this isn't so much modern Irish cinema as it is like it almost feels like a Netflix movie I feel like this would sit really well on Netflix not that I'm like don't go see it in the cinema by all means go see it in the cinema but it's one of those like teen rom-coms you know like it reminded me of all those ones like The Perfect Date although not as like well it's a bit see The Perfect Date has kind of creepy elements to it too with the fact that he's pretty much hiring himself out so he can fund college which is kind of a mad I think concept we found your special topic <laughs> oh yeah this is these like mastermind um, topic so it's but, womanhood yeah. and grooming slash preening but like C.R. Burgess is a loser would have yeah. been a big one on that um, to all the boys I've loved before there are loads of these teen rom-com oh and actually The Kissing Booth have to mention this because this was apparently the most watched um like feature of all the features of all the TV shows on Netflix either last year in 2017 which is like this no. teen rom-com drama type thing about this um, girl who ends up kissing the most popular guy in school but, in like, a kissing Like are these the booth. equivalent of the kind of straight to TV yeah. Yeah. movies? Yeah but except that they're trying to be like the likes of Clueless and Mean Girls and how popular those films were in the 90s to noughties and it turns out they are that popular because this was the most watched thing in Ireland a year or two ago and yes. it's a terrible terrible movie I yeah. watched it I was like this is the cringiest thing I've ever watched but you've got half the people half the young audience are obviously watching it for the absolute lols and then half of them are watching it like this is my life or this is the life I yeah. want so in that way Metal Heart kind of fits into that category I'd almost yeah. say you know yeah that's very true is yeah. it very much aimed at a younger audience definitely yeah. old ass definitely yeah no because <laughs> I mean no because we talked like we talked about it in last week's interview was the fact that like the two of us myself and Hugh O'Connor are both reformed gods yeah, and we were like, you know, are they still like this? Because like, like the guy was give us the, another goth characteristic. Well, like, okay, f- first off, you had like the big, huge boots, the big, huge metal boots, and I was like, do they still wear them? Like, do they still actually? You, I feel tra- like you also wore like not you personally, but goths. I'm just yeah, your, yeah, your sure. People, my people, yeah. my people, <laughs> like real baggy. <laughs> the people of Kildare. Real baggy black like pants. Yeah, that's or right. Or like yeah. wide leg. Yeah, wide leg. Yeah, boot cuts. Yeah, yeah boot cuts. Jenko jeans. Jenko yeah. jeans. Jeez, I remember they used to, the, the strap used to get caught in the bus. Yeah, it used to happen. Um, but yeah, no, yeah, that's it. I was kind of, yeah, see, look, Dave Regan laughing there. You <laughs> didn't have him. a pair of Jenko jeans down in rural Cork? I'd rural Cork. Uh, <laughs> North I did Cork. Not, no. I'm not from North Cork. Are you not? I thought you were from South Cork. Oh, South Cork. Okay. It's the other end. How uh, dare you. What was your look? You didn't have a goth phase. I was... Gah. 
lad. Of course you are. Yeah. Of no, no. Fair enough. Um, but I don't know what trying to comedy I'm trying to get out of here. It's working. Anyway. I'm just waiting for him to just make some He's like so deadpan. So I deadpan. How good it is. I just like it's it's yeah, it's fantastic. I love it. Um Metal Heart, yeah, no, it's it, no, it's really enjoyable. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, D is right, yeah. You could definitely see it as a Netflix movie. Do you think it's got a long life ahead of it? Maybe? I think so. Yeah, I think so. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I guess it all kind of depends on, you know, how teenagers respond to it. And that's, like I said, that's what I was talking to Hugh O'Connor about last week. Was that, you know, are kids still like this? Do they still think this way? Do they still kind of have these things? And the point that he made was was that it's timeless, like yeah. you know that kind of way. Like it is a timeless story. It's like all it, about insecurity and correct, yeah, insecurity and find yourself and oh. developing into a woman. <laughs> Dear God, yes, 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 <laughs> that timeless tale. All right, we're gonna throw to actually Brian. You take this one. You've yes. got a brand new segment. A brand new segment in the show. I don't, but I do have some lovely bed music which you're gonna hear oh, brilliant. yeah it's real kind of like jazz um welcome to jazz club no. it's brian's jazz corner <laughs> nice um no yeah so uh the segment is called movie mastermind movie mastermind dun, dun, dun. i'll let you do it i'll stop i I, I, I know i tell you i i need to build the soundboard as well yeah. that we will have we'll that we will it. use that i will push we'll put it, it on the back burner for put now. it on the back burner for now i guess um but yeah so uh basically uh we are going to have people in uh they pick the movie we give them 10 questions this week singer songwriter odu was good enough to come in brilliant. and this is how we got on okay cool. odu um can I ask, actually, why did you pick Jackie Brown? I picked Jackie Brown because it's actually a movie that my mother introduced me to years ago. Um, she was like, you really like this film, and we watched it together, and I just loved it from the opening bars of Across 110th Street, which is like the opening theme when Jackie's like going across the escalator. So it's just, I love the soundtrack, I love the characters, the dialogue's amazing. I can recite reams of dialogue from it. Like, it's just, it's so good. And yet you're worried about these quiz questions. I'm so worried about these quiz questions. I don't want to crash and burn here. Like, this is terrible. You'll be fine. <laughs> but like, I mean, it's just because like, you know, when somebody says like, oh, Quentin Tarantino, they'll usually yeah. go to like Pulp Fiction or Glorious Bastard. I hate Pulp Fiction. <laughs> hate Pulp Fiction. Why? Well, because I think the only good part of Pulp Fiction is the Bonnie situation and the rest right. is just, I just don't care about the rest. I love the Bonnie situation, it's hilarious. Yeah. The rest is shit. No, I hate it. But I love Reservoir Dogs, but I love Jackie Brown is my favourite Tarantino film, it's my favourite film in general. So, yeah, that's yeah. fair. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, yeah, I mean, Jackie Brown, it would, I would agree with you, Jackie Brown is my favourite uh, uh, Quentin Tarantino film as well. Yeah. But like... It's just, it's, it's, I, I've gotten shit for saying Jackie Brown is better than Pulp Fiction. Yeah, but I'm sorry, Jackie Brown, everybody knows, every intelligent person knows that Jackie Brown is the best Tarantino film, and I will it fight is. anyone who says otherwise. It's, it's, yeah, no, it's, yeah. it's, yeah. <laughs> good, good, good. Okay, I have 10 questions. How <gasps> confident are you feeling? I feel not very confident at all. <laughs> all right. Okay. 10 questions, oh and like I said, you can, you can skip and yeah. we can come back to it. Okay. But, Know that, like, if you lose, yes, I will have no respect to you. Okay, cool. And if right. you win, you will come away with this pen, this red pen. Amazing. This red pen. Cool. That I have it in my hand right okay, here. Okay, cool. I'm so excited. Okay, here we go. Okay. Question number one: What was the source novel that Jackie Brown was based on? Rum Punch by Elmore Leonard. Very good. Very good. Nice. 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 Okay. Uh, Michael Keaton's character appeared in another movie as the same character. What movie was it? I do know this. Out of sight. Very good. 
You were like really getting worried about this. This is you're full of shit. You're totally full of shit. Um, okay, question number three: mm. True or false? Samuel L. Jackson was nominated for an Oscar for his performance as Overdale Roby. Oh God, I don't actually know this, but I'm going to hazard a guess at this, and I'm going to say no. So you're going to say false? False, yes. I'm going to say false. That is correct. Yeah. That is correct. Mm-hmm. What, was Chris Turk- what was Chris Tucker's character named, and I need his full name? Beaumont Livingston. Nice. Nice. <laughs> Somebody blew Beaumont's brains out. <laughs> um, how much, and this is question number five, mm. how much money did Jackie and Max Cherry plan to steal from Ordell? $500,000. Very good. That's like, okay, so you're five for five. You're doing well. Okay. You're doing really, really well. Oh, real. God, let's, come on, keep it Okay. <laughs> question number six. Okay. Who sang across 110th Street? Bobby Womack. Very good. The soundtrack is amazing. I know it is. Yeah, like I listen to it so much. Like, yeah, no, no, it's very good, very good. That's like you're six for six now. That's that's pretty good. Okay, question. Wait, hang on a sec. You can actually can you can read? No, this? no, no. I'm okay. I'm really short sighted, man. So okay, perfect. All right, because I have these like written down on a book in front. No, no, I genuinely can't see. It's okay. all a blur. Good. Okay. Um, question number seven. Where was Jackie going after the robbery? Now I will accept either the country or I will accept the city. Um, I think it's Barcelona in Spain. I'll give you that because okay. it was Madrid in Spain. Ah, sure, I'll give okay. you that. I'll All give right, you okay. that. I'll give you that because cool. you said Spain. I'll I did say Spain, that. yes. Okay. Uh, when Ordell was trying to convince Chris Tucker's character to get into the trunk of the car, where were they going? Now, it's multiple choice. Okay. Were they going to Chinatown? Were they going downtown? Or were they going to Koreatown? They are going to Koreatown. That's it. Yeah. Yes. Very good. Very good. Question number nine. And you, you, I, I, you are eight for eight now, so you're doing really, really well oh here. God, come on, let's go. <laughs> what was the airline that Jackie Brown worked for? Cabo Air. What? <laughs> that was the one. That was the one that I was like, she's no fucking way she's going to get I've this. I've seen it so many times. I know that's that. That's really, that's fucking, <laughs> Jesus. Jesus. Now, get the last if you now. get this one now, I will be genuinely impressed. I will be really, really impressed. Okay. How many actors... In Jackie Brown, also appeared in Breaking Bad. Oh, <laughs> oh my lord! Um, I didn't know any actors appeared in Breaking Bad from Jackie. Have Brown. you seen Breaking? I have, but yeah. I have, but oh lordy! Yeah, you can have a th- you can have a think about this. Have okay, about I'm this. gonna have a think about this. Oh mother of God! Okay, um, I, how, okay. So the question is, how many? Yeah. How many actors? Now, I can give you multiple choice. Yeah, please give me multiple choice. <laughs> okay. Were there two? Yeah. Were there three? Or were there four? God. Okay. Do the maths. Think yeah, about yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, God. No, I'm going to burn my streak. I have no recollection of Breaking Bad. This is terrible. Okay. I'm going to go... I'm going to go with four. Uh, no, I'm going to go with... Hey, take your time. Take your time. Take your time. You've done really, really well. You've yeah, got nine. Yeah, yeah. You have nine out of ten. Nine out of ten. Okay. You're doing really well. Okay, I'm gonna go with two. 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 Odu. Mm-hmm. That was a really, really good guess. That was a fantastic guess. <laughs> yes. It was. It was Michael. Who uh, was it? It was Dargus, who was the ATF agent. He oh, was in Breaking Bad. Oh yes. And Robert Forrester. He was the guy who actually helped Walter White escape in the last season. Oh. 
Yes. He was because Max Cherry, Cherry Bonds. Max Cherry, yes, yeah. Cherry Bonds, yes. Oh my God, I can't believe we're coming from Perfect. That. that was really good. That was that was for the inaugural mastermind movie mastermind. Oh, I'm in the inaugural one. You're Amazing. the inaugural one. That oh. was ten out of ten. So you have basically set the bar here. I've set the bar here. Okay. So well done. Thank you. Um, ten out of ten. That's really really impressive. And I'm not mm. kidding. I really was worried, and before you came in, so it was I. I was thinking like shit. I've, I've made these too difficult. So really well done. Thank you. Um, you have a gig July 18th. You're playing the Soundhouse with CMAT and Bouts. People yes. can get tickets on Eventbrite.ie. Please buy tickets in advance. They're selling fast. Please come and see us. It's going to be awesome. Cool. And yes. your single, The Feeling, is out on Spotify and Apple. All platforms now. Yes. Add to your playlists. Enjoy. It's a banger. You're going to love it. 10 out of 10. She got 10 <laughs> no, out of 10. Genuinely, she impressed me. Like, really, yeah. 10 yeah. out of... Jackie Brown. 10 out of 10. And Jackie Brown, what a crack and film. Yeah. And can you say, have you got some lined up in there? Uh, no, I can't. Wow. I can't at all. But it's you'll secret. see. Because it's secret. It's secret. No, yeah, we're going to do that from now on. So I don't yeah. Know. yeah. No, fantastic. Very entertaining. Um, what a fantastically organized show we've put together so here today. So organized. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you've got any feedback, just keep it to yourself. <laughs> be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, but then I suppose you've already subscribed if you're listening to this right now. So see you next week. Yeah.